Manchester Church of the Nazarene. This is Pastor Tyler, and I'm happy to welcome you to our discipleship time that we call I Love to Tell the Story, as we work our way through Scripture, through the story of God. This is a grand story that leads us to the good news of Jesus. We're invited not only to read this story, we believe that God wants us to join this great story as partners with Jesus Christ in the work of the redemption and restoration of God's creation. We're glad that you are joining us here. We'd also love for you to join us on Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock as we tell this story together. Thanks again for joining us. So I want to ask a few questions. Um, they're trivia questions, all right? So these come from previous uh, lessons that we've done. Um, so trivia. So I want, I want everybody to have the opportunity to answer these, all right? So, um, so if you know the answers, if you know all the answers, maybe answer a couple of them so that we all feel comfortable. <laughs> but don't answer all of them. And, and Pastor Kevin's not in here, so I don't have to direct that to him. Um, he knows I'm picking on him. He's not here, but... All right, first question. What is God's name? Yahweh. Yahweh. And do you remember what Yahweh, Yahweh means? I sure. That's okay. Anybody remember what Yahweh means? What, where it comes from? The, the Hebrew words that it comes from? I am. I am. I am. So it, it's uh, technically it, it is uh, you are. Um, it's, it's changing it, or he is rather. It's changing it from um, the I am that God says to Moses in response to who, who shall I say has sent me. Um, that, that question that Moses asked, God says, I am. And it's, um, it's both um, kind of a refusal to be put into one box, but it's also um, this promise being made not only to Moses, but um, to the people. Um, and, and that's a serious part of their identity. And so it's a serious part of our identity. All right, second question. What is the purpose of creation? Maybe there's no right answer to this. There's many right answers to this. What is the purpose of creation? That's good. Companionship. That's very good. I actually want to call out Renee. Renee, you had a great answer to this question on the lesson that we did to creation about creation. I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how you worded it, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to... Do you remember what you said? You said something along the lines of not only for God to delight in, but also us, humans, humanity. You know, we, we delight in God's creation, and that's what God created it for, was the delight, um, joy, to, to be drawn into that. Um, all right, another question. What day of the week were the Israelites allowed to take extra manna? Saturday. Saturday. Technically, I, I, well, I don't know, at that point in time, um, for Israel and, and um, Jewish people, it would be Friday. Saturday is their Sabbath. Sunday is our Sabbath. But you're, So you're right, technically there, is that it's the, the day before the Sabbath, right? Um, what does manna mean? Does anybody remember this one? I've heard it bread from heaven. Yes, bread from heaven. So there's a particular um, Hebrew word that it comes from. And it is when the Israelites ask, what is this? And that is the word, manna. And so in, in Hebrew, the, the word manna literally means, what is this? <laughs> um, how many times does, does God call on Samuel before Samuel responds? Every time he called, he went. But he didn't oh, yeah. Oh, good. That's a good answer, yes. Yes, yeah, so it's three times, but yes, he does get up and respond every time, thinking it's Eli, right? Um, who built the temple in Jerusalem, the first temple in Jerusalem? A lot of people. 
A lot of people built it. Good point. Good point. Which king of Israel initiated the building of the temple? Solomon. Yes, Solomon. You'll remember that his father David really wanted to, um, but it ends up getting passed on to Solomon. Does anybody remember what Elijah's name means? Elijah. This was, uh, well, I guess it was more than two weeks ago. It was two lessons ago that we talked about this one. I'll give you a hint. Elijah was the prophet who came about after Israel and Judah split. So now the people of God were not just one kingdom, they were two kingdoms, right? The north and the south. Um, and because the uh, temple of Sol- that Solomon built was in the south, Israel, who's in the north, is now struggling with their identity. Who are they going to be? Who are they going to worship? Are they going to worship Baal, the god of their queen, Jezebel? Or are they going to worship Yahweh, the God of their ancestors, the God um, of, of well, their God, right, <laughs> of Israel? And so Elijah's name is very significant during that time. Anybody remember? Another hint is that anytime you see a name in the Bible that ends in A-H, Yahweh is a part of the name. A-H is, a, is abbreviated version of Yahweh. Elijah's name means Yahweh is God. El in Hebrew means God. A-H refers to Yahweh. So El, God, is Yahweh. Or Yahweh is God. That's how we would translate that. Alright, good work. That was a trivia, just for fun. Just to get our, um, our brains thinking. Alright, we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah... Um, you'll remember the last time we were here, we were in the book of Amos. And I kind of want to give you an idea of where these, how these two are related. I, sh- I showed you this, this graph, um, I think two weeks in a row now I've shown you this graph. Um, but this part up here is when the kingdom is united. So Israel is just one kingdom, and it's united under first under Saul, then under David, then under Solomon. And then there's the, the divided kingdom, and you have Judah... And you have Israel. Fascinating story. I really wish we could have gotten into how it splits, why it splits. It's Solomon's son um, that, that results in the split. It's a really, really interesting story. It's a very good example of what God was warning the people about whenever they wanted a king. It's really, really fascinating. Um, I actually really think all of those stories around these kings are fascinating. Um, and I'll try to zoom in. So we're in the divided kingdom now. Um, and so you have Israel in the south. Or sorry, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Okay, this is these are all kind of really geographical. They're kind of trivial, but they're really they're really important to understand where we're at in Scripture, and I find them very helpful. Of course, and I just might just be a little bit of a Bible nerd. Um, this graph's really interesting. It's got a bunch of information on it. Basic information I want to share with you right now is you'll remember last lesson we talked about. Does anybody remember which prophet we were in? Amos. So we were in Amos, and you'll remember one of, actually I meant to add this in my trivia. Amos is the only prophet who was from the south, Judah, who went to the north. So he's from the south, and he goes to the north to prophesy. Okay, so all of his work is done in the north, Israel, um, which is all of the tribes except for Judah, um, and actually Benjamin is with Judah as well, but that's another just note. Um, now, what you'll see is that Amos, a big part of what he's prophesying, along with Micah and Hosea, <coughs> Jonah's, it's likely during this time as well, though that's a little bit harder to pin down, um, is that uh, Israel goes into Assyrian captivity. Okay, So Assyria, one of the big empires of the day, comes and takes over Israel, the, the northern kingdom. Okay, The northern kingdom goes into exile, and they have their whole thing. And it's really bad. A part of what Amos and Hosea and Micah, especially Hosea, are big on is they're warning the people. Like, if you continue in your unfaithfulness, God is going to remove you from the land. Remember, this land is, is about you being God's people. You're going to get literally removed from this land. Um, and it was a common practice in, of empires in that day to 
take over a land and remove the people, especially the leaders of the land. And what we call this is exile, right? And that's what we're really going to be talking about. Because what happens is we see Jeremiah come along. Now you'll see Jeremiah is in Judah, okay? So this is important just to, just to locate us. Israel is in the north. They have gone off into Babylon or to Assyrian captivity. Um, I think that maybe they've even returned by now. They're about to return. Well, right around the same, or right around at this point, Jeremiah, you'll see, he's up here. He starts prophesying when before the captivity. But if you look down here, you'll see Jeremiah is prophesying all the way through the captivity. Jeremiah has the longest uh, time. As a prophet, 40 years he prophesies. He begins before the exile happens, and he prophesies all the way through. What can I help you with? I'm just for what? I'm looking for my book. Oh. Um, I don't remember seeing it. Sorry. Um, so, so Jeremiah is the prophet that we're looking at, and he is prophesying all the way through the exile. He comes and he warns Judah, hey, if you keep living in the way that you're living... You're going to be brought into exile. It's part of the reason why he it's such a he's such a difficult he has such a difficult ministry. Pastor Mary Elizabeth preached on a Jeremiah uh, text this past Sunday, and she talked a little bit about what's going on. But obviously, he is a, he has a very difficult task of going and telling um, Judah that continue living in your ways, and you are going to be removed from the land. Remember, the land is about being promised, um, being the people of God, and so this is really important. And so that's where we're at. Um, and I just like locating us there. Um, now I'm going to be reading from a different text than what's displayed up here. I'm going to be reading from the text that's on the handout that I gave you. We're going to begin by looking at Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 2. Just verses 1 through 2. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and to all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by, the king, by king Nebuchadnezzar. All right, so this, that's where we're at. The exile has happened. Jerusalem has fallen. Uh, Solomon's temple has been destroyed at this point. So a lot of bad things have happened. This was after King Jehoiachin, the queen mother, the court officials, and the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. All right, so what do you imagine the emotional experiences of exile to be? What sorts of experience, emotional experiences, might the people be be having? It's like being evicted from your home. It's a mm. loss. You, you've yeah. lost your what you grew up with. You mm. lost your neighbors. Mm. You've lost. You feel like you've lost everything. Yeah. Yeah, except for what's on the back. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you've probably lost family in the in the process of the war and all that leads up to it. Um, lots of loss. I hear you saying is what I hear you saying. Any other thoughts? Uncertain about the future. Uncertain. Hmm. Yeah, and, and and to that note, I think that that's really important. Um, I feel like confusion might be another thing that that would be tied to this because. While the people were living unfaithful, if you, if you look at the time, um, um, actually Israel, I mean Judah here, they were generally worshiping Yahweh. It was, the problem was is that they were worshiping God, but they were, they were living a different way. They weren't actually living the laws of God. They were sacrificing to Yahweh, um, but they were living as though they were sacrificing to Baal. And we talked a little bit about what it looks like to worship Baal, how that forms the people to be violent and, and aggressive and, and the exact opposite of what the Torah, what the law of God intended for the people to be. And so, but at the same time, again, they're worshiping Yahweh. They, they still believe that they're worshiping Yahweh. There's text in Jeremiah as, as well as um, Hosea, especially, where, um, where, where God is telling them, I don't care about the worship you're, because you're living in a different way. Like, that's a problem. There's a disconnect between how you're worshiping and how you're living um, life normally. You're, um, you're oppressing the poor. Like Amos really got into that with Israel, but it's kind of the same situation in, in Judah. Um, and so there's a lot going on. But I want us to just think about Israel's 
history, Israel's past, their stories that they've been told. Uh, Judah, Judah is a part of this, right? Of course, Israel and Judah, are, are, they share in this, this story. Um, let's think about um, the call of Israel. Let, let's think about the call of the people of God. Um, I've got a few passages here that I want us to look at. It begins with Abram, um, who becomes Abraham, right? Look at, look at what God calls Abram to do in Genesis chapter 12. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. All right, so, and this is the, this is the beginning of the covenant that God makes with, with, with Abraham. It goes on, I, I, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing, right? Um, this is inherently, not just a part of it, it is specifically tied to location, to land. He says, go from where you are to another place. Go to a land. And where is that land? It's the promised land, right? This is where Abraham is sent to, to, to the land of Canaan, where, um, where, his, where God will eventually give over to the people Israel. This is the promised land that we know about. Um, another text Exodus, another um, covenant that God makes with the people, and it's kind of just a renewal of the covenant that God has already made. Let's look at what happens in Exodus. We know the story of Exodus, right? The people um, go to Egypt from the promised land. They go to Egypt to survive, and they end up staying there for a little while, and, and by a little while, 400 years or something like that. And so they're there for a long time, and eventually um, the, the Pharaoh decides to oppress these people, right? And so the people are crying out, wanting to, be, wanting to go back home, right? Wanting to go back home to what none of them had ever known as home, but they knew the stories. They knew God's promises to Abraham, and they wanted to go home. And so they cry out to God to let, to let them, um, to let them to set them free. And so God uses Moses, right, to do this. And look what, what God says in Exodus 19. It's that transition time of being an being. Um, being slaves to being free, the free people of God. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine. Now think about that. That's referring to land. But you shall be for me a priestly kingdom. So two things there. Once again, it's deeply tied to land. It's deeply tied to location. They couldn't truly be the people of God in Egypt. Um, they tr couldn't truly be the people of God because they were being oppressed. Um, they were not a, a, a nation for themselves. And so God promises, you will, you will, I've borne you out on eagle's wings, and you will be a treasured possession. Deeply tied to land. Deeply tied to their identity as God's people. Not as slaves, but as the free people of God. Then in, in 2 Samuel, we see, or we see with David a, a promise made to David. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people, and I have been with you wherever you went. And what we learn down here is that he is promising that I will appoint for my, a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them. And this is exactly what happens with Solomon. They're, they're planted there. They're established finally as a nation with a king and with, a pre, with, with priests, with a place of worship. They are established as a people finally. And the reason I want to remind us all of these different things, I think I have one more actually, uh, 1 Kings, but will God indeed dwell on earth? And this is referring to the temple. Um, God is with the people. What the temple ends up becoming is a sign that God is with the people. It's not, just, it's not where God lives. It's not where God is pinned down, but it is a sign that God is with the people. Now remember, when Babylonian captivity happens, um, uh, Jerusalem, which represents the mighty power of David and the everlasting covenant that David has, that, that somebody on David's line will be king. Um, Jerusalem has fallen in the Babylonian captivity. The temple, which is a sign that God is present with the people, has fallen in Babylonian captivity, and the people have been removed. So all of these covenants that are deeply a part of Israel's history 
deeply apart. God's covenant, God's promises to the people. This is who you will be. I will be your God, you will be my people. Promises from God. And now, the temple, the city have been destroyed, and the people have been extracted from the land, exiled from the land. And think about the confusion that is deeply tied to that. Let's think about the, the confusion that is deeply tied to that. What kind of questions might they have? This goes back way like 20 minutes ago when Angela said that um, there's probably some confusion, right? Some questions, some uh, unsurety about the future, right? If these are your promises and now you've been removed from that land, the temple has been destroyed. What are you thinking? Not keeping his promises. Yeah. Is God not keeping his promises? What yeah. What does our future look like? We're supposed to be the people of God. I really just want us to really get into the emotional um, sort of mindset that the people are experiencing. That's why I'm spending so much time on this. Um not only are they confused and lost like anybody would be, right? Anybody who experienced exile like this, like, and again, this was a practice of empires of the year of, of this time. Babylon was the largest empire at this point in time, and this would have been a common practice. If they took over an area of the world, they would have exiled the people. Now, what we see, and, and this is just kind of fascinating, another trivial thing, um, Rome doesn't do that, right? Rome becomes one of the largest empire, or the largest empire in its day during Jesus's time. What do they do? They just go to their land and they make them assimilate in their land. But it was a common practice before that in Babylon and Assyria and and, and even um, um, and some other ones. I was going to say uh, Egypt, but Egypt generally didn't expand outside of their land. Um, but it was a common practice to remove people. So anybody who would be removed by an empire like this would experience that, that loss, right? That, 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 that loss of land, loss of family, loss of, um, of all of these different things. But, I, but Israel, not only are they losing their home and everything, they are probably experiencing a loss of, and confusion of identity. Our identity is deeply tied to that land. Our I, our identity is deeply tied to that city. Our identity is deeply tied to that temple. And so not only are they experiencing that, that loss, that extreme loss that anybody would feel, they, as God's treasured possession, are probably feeling very confused about the future, very hopeless about the future. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're not who they're supposed to be. So do you think that they ever stopped and thought maybe we wouldn't be in this situation if we had listened to God's will, what he told us to do? Yeah. You know, I think that that is such an interesting thought. I mean, I've been, I've been studying, listening through First uh, and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and those kind of overlap a lot, and they overlap with the prophets. Um, and it's, like, it's almost like they, Israel, in, according to Scripture, Israel was, was less often faithful to God than they were more often faithful yeah. to God. They were almost never faithful to God. But it also shows us how... You know, over and over and over, God tells them to do something. Over and over, over and over, you tell your children to do something. And you still love them regardless. You never let them be hurt. You said before. Yeah. But you still love them. God still loves them. So it's kind of, you know. Yeah. And that's why Jesus is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so good. I mean, it. it there is this. We, we often look at Israel and. and it's easy for us to, it's very easy for us to, to look at them and just think, what is going on? Like, why, aren't, why can't these people figure it out? And obviously we could spend a lot of time talking about that. Um, but I think, like, even in the midst of all of that, there's probably people that are faithful, you know, experiencing this. Jeremiah is someone who's faithful and he's experiencing all of this. Um, I think that the emotional and, and theological confusion that they must be experiencing, maybe they, maybe they were right to not worship Yahweh, because it seems that God, if, if the temple's fallen, that means God's not here. 
and, and they're wrestling with these emotions and experiences. It's in the midst of that that Jeremiah writes, um, writes the text that, that I'm going to read. And again, we've only read two verses, so I've got to get to it. Um, Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7. So we're just skipping over verse 3, um, going to verse 4. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Now he's writing a letter, okay? Jeremiah is writing a letter to the exiles. That's what the first two verses told us. This is what he says to those, to the captives that have been exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens. Eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its peace will determine your peace. Now, in chapter 28, just before chapter 29, another prophet named Hananiah comes and says that Judah is only going to be in exile for two years. So it's just going to be two years. And and Jeremiah... um, Jeremiah is like, okay, yeah, amen. Sounds like a plan. But he comes back and he says, that's not how it's going to happen. It's this hopeful prophecy that actually has led us astray for too many years. Um, I want us to think a little bit about this, this, this text. What is odd about this? Is there anything odd about these, these, these first few verses that we read here? Right from the beginning. Build homes. Plan to stay. Make the best of it. Make the best of it. Yeah. What's odd about this? This is coming from from God, right? Now, Now we put it into context who these people are. Their identity is tied to the land. And God tells them to settle down. I named this one. I, I, I don't know if y'all ever notice them. You probably don't, unless I point them out. Um, a few weeks ago, we had, a, we had a, a lesson, and it was called Let's Settle, Let's Settle Down. And it was when Solomon built the temple. And it was, you know, us saying, hey, this is our land. We're here. Let's settle down. Um, well, the, the title of this lesson is um, Let's Settle Down? Question mark. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to settle down over there. <laughs> God calls the people to settle down, to, to do what Babylon, Babylon would have wanted them to do. That's what's particularly interesting to me about this, is this is exactly what Babylon would have wanted, for y'all to chill out, be quiet, settle down, live your lives, whatever. We want you to just chill out here in Babylon. That's exactly what Babylon would have wanted the people to do, and here is God telling them to do that. That is so interesting. Would this be your instinct? He, God says, seek the peace of the city. Seek the peace of the city, the shalom. Maybe you've heard that, that word before. Seek the shalom. That means the peace, the, the fulfillment, the, the flourishing of the city. Some translations will say peace and prosperity, just to make it clear that that's what that text is, is referring to. Not just peace as in no war, but peace and prosperity. Seek the peace of the city. Is that what your instinct would be to do if you were in exile? If not, what would your instinct be? Trying to figure out how to go back. Yeah. Any way possible. I can't help but think of what um, what the Jews do um, during Roman oppression. There's like constantly people arising. Jesus talks about this. There's constantly people arising and saying, I'm the Messiah. Let's go. We're going to attack them. We're going to defeat them. And that's how we're going to reestablish ourselves. And it never works. And I can't help but think that that might would be what Israel or what Judah during exile in Babylon, what their instinct might would be. Yeah, we're small, but God, if we can get God on our side, we can attack this mighty empire. We can take them down from the inside. 
I feel like that would be the human instinct here. If you've been removed from your land, if you're going to do everything you can to get back, that would be the instinct. What's, what's, what's the possible risk of the people following this letter? What's, a, what's at risk here? Like, what, what could possibly happen if they follow this letter that's, that God says, settle down in this land? What's, what's at risk? They would uh, marry into the Babylonian people. Yeah, yeah, both like phys- like literally and like figuratively, right? Yeah, <laughs> marry into the customs, right? Yeah. Jeremiah uses language like that all the time. As a matter of fact, kids would lose their identity. Mm. Yeah. Mm. A lot of culture still today. Yeah, do not want to be married outside their culture. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seems like this is a pretty common story of, of the people of God, the Jews even, um, of trying to maintain the identity. They have a particular identity, right? And we talked about that, how it's deeply tied to the land. But God says to not, you're now not on the land, and I want you to still, I want you to just settle down, settle in. It's going to be a little while. We'll, we'll get into how long it's going to be in just a minute in the next few verses that we, we read. I think that the risk that I see happening, if, if, if they follow what God has told them to do, there's a risk, and that is um, the word assimilation. You know what the word assimilation means? It means that not only will they live there, but they will begin to adopt those practices, right? Marrying in to their practices in every way. They assimilate. And now, this isn't like, like I mean, there's a, there's a cultural aspect to it, but, but we can't think about it as like different cultural practices, but specifically worshiping the wrong gods. Um, maybe you think of some of the stories from Daniel, um, the call for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down to a statue of a king, Nebuchadnezzar, the same king that's here that's mentioned, that's assimilation. Do what everyone else is doing. Live your life like everyone else is doing. Now, is God telling them to do that here? No. 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 They already had that problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> already. This is where it's really important to, to keep reading, um, and we're going to do that. Um, but God kind of makes it clear um, in the letter that, that's sent is that's not the point. Um, Jeremiah, God and Jeremiah, neither of them intend for the people to assimilate. They need to live there. They need to pray for the city, pray for the prosperity of the city. But God is not calling on the people to assimilate, to, to live like Babylon, Babylonians do. We know how Babylonians live. They live as in, let's go see that little nation over there. I'd really like to attack it and destroy it. That's not what God's people are ever called to do. In, when they're settled in Israel, they're not called to, to expand. They get in trouble when they try to do that. They're not called to do that. They're called to live faithfully where they are. They're called to live faithfully where they are. And here is Jeremiah saying that even if where you are is exile, even if it's not in the land that's deeply tied to your identity. Um, let's look at Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Nope, I already read that. Look at me like I'm nuts. Um, Four through seven. Did I put it on there twice? Oh, okay, it's different verses. All right, okay, all right, all right. It's not four through seven, it's eight through 14. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies. All right, he repeats that. That's what's confusing me. That's yeah. why I changed to begin with. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says: Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they are telling you lies in my names. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says: You will be in Babylon for seventy years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, 
They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your land. So just as a reminder, um, Hananiah, another prophet, who claimed to be a prophet of Yahweh, right, says two years they'll be in exile. And, and Jeremiah goes on in that text to say, this is the problem. Like, there's a bunch of prophets that have arisen and um, said they were from Yahweh and spoken really good words of hope to the people. Things that we would read, read and say, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Two years of captivity, we can handle that. We can bear that. And, and, uh, and Jeremiah ironically says, amen to this proclamation but then he goes on to say, that's not how it's going to be. You prophets of hope who have come have given these people false hopes. And so when, when Jeremiah says in the text that we just read to not listen to the prophets that are there in the land with you, to not listen to the dreams, to not listen to their dreams. I think other translations uh, are translating it as the dreams that you want them to dream. Um, He's telling them to not listen to that. It's going to be 70 long years. This section of scripture is where we find this really famous Old Testament verse, 29, 11. It's so powerful. It's such a great verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Jeremiah had just said 70 years in captivity. When you, when you see that verse, um, and I'm going pick to on, pick on it a little bit. When you see that verse hanging on somebody's wall or you open it from your graduation uh, card, maybe because I had a graduation card that had this text, um, you weren't really thinking about the fact that just before this, Jeremiah said it's going to be 70 years. And, and, you know, I think what's so funny about that is that those cards and all are usually tied to, um, to like graduation or something, thinking about the future. There's hope for your future. Dream big, right? We could, we could put that next to it. And Jeremiah says, forget your dreams. <laughs> well, I'll also just let you know, too, that our timing is not God's timing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I, I, what you said about that verse, people say it so often, and, and you're right. They don't. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to happen right away. Just because mm-hmm. that verse, you know. Yeah. yeah. I think in the larger context of Jeremiah as a whole, right? Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. He's the prophet of despair, some people call him. Uh, Mary Elizabeth told us this past week that, that Jeremiah is sometimes, sometimes lamentations. The book of Lamentations is attributed to Jeremiah. He's the one that says bad stuff, bad news generally. And here he is saying something like this in the midst of bad news, because it is in the midst of bad news. It's good news. It's like saying, hold on, it's going to come. But 70 years, most of the people reading this would be dead by then. Most of those children and grandchildren that he's told, that God has told them to have, will have never even seen the land of God, the the promised land. And and it's it's hope-filled. It's a hope-filled verse. Uh, What are the plans that God is talking about? Well, God's made it clear throughout Jeremiah before this that that whole exile thing was a part of God's plan. That whole suffering and being removed from the land, that's pretty tough. That's a part of God's plan. The whole 70 years in exile, that's a part of God's plan. That is tough. For most people, that's just a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's It's forever. (laughs) And I mean, especially in, in these days, um, and at this point in time, it, the lifespan would have been probably around 70 years or less, maybe even. This is, I think that this is so interesting to think about. In the midst of that, we have this hope-filled verse, I know the plans. It's hard, it's tough, but I know the plans. Um, I'm going to shift gears here, and I only got about 10 minutes to do this, but it's probably the most important part of the lesson I'm going to ask, can you think of another story in the Old Testament where people were were removed, stripped from, or exiled from their home? 
We talked about the Assyrian captivity, so not that one. But there's another, is there, is there another story that comes to mind when you hear about people being sent away or removed from their home? Another hint, God's behind it. We talked about Abraham, yeah, Abraham. Um, and obviously it's kind of the reverse of that, right? It's leave where you, what you're familiar with and go to what's going to be this great land that your people are going to live in. Um, again, I don't have a ton of time, so I'll just go ahead and tell you what I'm thinking of. Genesis chapter 3. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden, sent him forth from the garden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and the east of the garden and the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and the sword flaming and turning to the guard to the way of the tree of life. Um, God sends uh, the people, Adam and Eve, away from the garden. He drove them out. Um, another little cool uh, language thing. Um, just remember this. Garash. God drove out the people. We look over here. They're not directly the same word, but they are very, very close. Gala. Um, the Hebrew letters are very similar in that word. Exile means to be stripped, to be taken out of, to be pulled away from. And here is God sending out the people. Why? Why does God send them out from the garden? Disobedience, unfaithfulness, sin, brokenness. Adam and Eve, they're driven out from the garden. We know that this garden, it, it, it is and it represents human flourishing. It represents what God intended for creation. It's the story of what God intended for us. It's the story of what God wanted for us and all of creation. And because of the people's sin, their disobedience, God has to drive them out. He has to exile them from their home, from the home that God had given them from the beginning. From there, humanity begins to spiral into sin up to the point that God's judgment comes in the form of the flood. We hear, hear, hear about that. But still, despite starting over, all over with Noah, humanity is still stuck in a condition of brokenness. Generations after Noah, um, after Noah leads the people to build this, uh, generations after Noah, there's a group of people that begin to build a tower. Does anybody remember the name of that tower? Um. We call that Babel. But another fun fact, another word thing down here at the bottom. If we go over here, can anybody read this? Babylon. Babylon. The name of the tower is Babylon. Um, it, it's, it, it's, we're translated here as Babel because, um, well, obviously there's this, there's this weird translation from, from Hebrew, um, but that word comes from um, the Lord um, confuses. And so it's a play on words. It's Balal. And so they remember this story. Israel remembers this story as being Babylon, the beginning of Babylon the place that the people are sent to in exile, Babylon. And that's what Babylon represents. That's what Babel represents. Human brokenness spiraling into sin, seeking to be their own power and their own God in this world. It is out of God's destruction of Babel. Does anybody know what happens in Genesis chapter... This is Genesis chapter 11. Does anybody know what happens in Genesis chapter 12? We talked about it earlier. Now the Lord God said to Abram, go forth. It goes from Babylon 
to Abraham. Go forth. Go forth from Babylon. Go forth from the land that has been split apart and broken open because of Babylon. Go from Babel. Go to a land. Go to a land that's going to be your home. Exile, um, it is a, a, a historic event. I'm not, I'm not here to, to like try to debate that whether it literally happened. It did. There's lots of proof that it did. But I just want to remind you of a, of, of a central philosophy of this class for, for this lesson, that we're not here to be informed about anything. We're here to be transformed. And so even the historical events that we find in Scripture, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them in the Old Testament. This historic event of exile it has a serious meaning. It's not, it's not just there to tell us what happened. It's not just there to, so that we know the history of Israel. That's a part of it, but it's so much more than that. Because our history is our story. Our story shapes us. Our story tells us who we are. Exile is not just a historical event in the life of the people of God. The people understood it then, and, they understood, and we understand it now as being an analogy for the human condition. It is a human condition to be exiled. We are in exile. We are not in the garden. The garden is what God intended, and we're not there. <laughs> Look around. We're not there. And so the exile is not only what happened to both Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. It is what has happened to humanity from the beginning of our sin. Exile is our human condition. It represents our human condition. Now, with two minutes to spare, let's think about Jeremiah's letter to the exiles as exiles. What is the message for us, for God's people today, in a world that, again, is not the Garden of Eden? No matter where you're at, doesn't matter what nation you're at, doesn't matter where you live, it's not the Garden of Eden we are in exile. We are still experiencing the brokenness of not only our own sin, but the sin of all of creation. And all of creation is experiencing the sin of us and, and of everyone. Settle down. Live a normal life. Not lives of assimilation, but also not lives of violent resistance. Right? Not lives of assimilation, but a faithful resistance through presence, through living in presence, through living faithfully, again, seeking God, seeking the Lord with all our heart. That's, it's a part of our faithful living, right? To, to be seeking God, to living faithfully to what God has called the people to live, not assimilating, not just taking in all the practices of the world, but living faithfully here, starting families, having children, having grandchildren, settling down, question mark. God calls people, even in a world that has experienced Jesus' coming. And, and I, this is supposed to be a, 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 an Advent teaching, and, and maybe you can pick up on some of those themes yourself, but um, Advent is the time of the year, the time of the church calendar, where we prepare ourselves, not only for Christmas Day when we celebrate Jesus came, but we're preparing our hearts and ourselves every single year. Remember, this is a cycle, circles back every single year. Every single year we come to Advent anticipating that Christ is coming again, anticipating that we will not be in exile forever. It's been a long 70 years. But promise is that the Lord knows the plans he has not just for us individuals like everywhere but for all of creation um, and so we live in Advent constantly not just these four weeks in November and December but constantly forever we are always in Advent we are always waiting anticipating the Advent of Christ the coming of Christ to set us free not not from any, maybe not 
most of us here probably aren't experiencing the experiences of exile that Israel experienced, that Judah experienced. Sometimes we do, sometimes we might. Of oppression, of, of, um, of brokenness, being stripped of everything that we have. But at the very least, and, and I should say at the very most, we are all experiencing exile because of sin. Separation from God's presence. And God says, live faithfully, seeking after me. And that is our call as well, not just the people of Israel and Judah. All right. I said I was going to do it in two minutes, and I did it. It's like, it's like the scripture on um, to be in the world, but not of the sure. world. Yeah, I have something written down like that somewhere. I I end up just having so many notes. Oh, I I have more reflection questions on the handout. I think I say something about that on there. Um, And and you can read through these. Uh, We, like the exiles, await the advent of Jesus to make all things new. In the meantime, we are made new by Christ's first advent. And we are invited to live in this world while not being transformed or assimilated to it. But we are being called to live in this world. Um, oh man, there's just so many things I wanted to take from that. We're not called to try to escape this world. We're not called to separate ourselves from interacting with the world. We're called to not assimilate to the world. But we are called to live in the world. Just not of the world, right? Alright. I'm done. I promise. Alright. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather here for um, your word that just speaks to us um, just from so far away, from so long ago. These historic events are just so important for our lives. Help us, O Lord, as we live as exiles in the world. Help us during this Advent season to not assimilate to the practices of the world, but to be reminded that this season of Advent, of Christmas. It's about you. It's about your coming to us. And not just your coming to us, but your transforming of us, that we might live faithfully in the world, but not assimilated or transformed by the world. Help us, O Lord, to be your people faithfully as we go throughout our week. In Jesus' name, amen.